This episode of Behind the Bots is brought to you by FingerTech Robotics, North America's top manufacturer of combat robotics parts. If you're interested in building your first combat robot, check out FingerTech's Viper Kit, which includes everything you need to build a fully functional, competitive ant weight. FingerTech also carries a complete line of wheels, hubs, motors, and other components if you want to build a bot from the ground up. Check them out online at www.fingertechrobotics.com. From the winner's circle of the Billy Lookalike Contest, this is Behind the Bots, the podcast that brings you the stories of the builders behind BattleBots. I'm Chris. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Nicole. And today on the podcast, our interview with Jackpot teammate Shay Waffles-Johns. We'll wrap up the show with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. If you like our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, CastBox, Player FM, and Podbean. You can follow us on Facebook at Behind the Bots. And if you like what you hear, tell a friend. We really appreciate your support. And uh, since we don't have Luke here today, I'm going to throw the news over to our very own Chris DeSico. All right, all time for this week's Combat Robotics News. I have two news items for you today. (laughs) First up, the team behind Shatter took home first place at this weekend's Norwalk Havoc in the 30-pound division with the punishing vertical spinner, Emulsifier. Slapbox minibot driver, Annika Yankaskis, took home second place in the weight class with her 30-pound flamethrowing robot, Dragon Princess which was responsible for the most entertaining and watchable fights of the entire tournament. Honestly, top ten fights, uh, Dragon Princess was in five of them. Every every fight that she was in was instantly iconic. Check out those videos on YouTube. Meanwhile, builder Zach Knight took home the first place in the 12-pound division with Promhita, and Andrew Kazmar took home first place with a three-pound division with his undefeated Melty Brain Project Liftoff. And finally, BattleBots this week revealed that they would be awarding a new trophy this season called the Golden Bolt. They made the announcement on their website, writing, quote, We came, we saw, we kicked some bot. And Las Vegas is still shaking in the aftermath. I think it's because it's on a fault line. (laughs) Anyway, hundreds of fights later, the Giant Nut and the Golden Bolt awarded. All we can say is that this is the best season of BattleBots yet. Ooh, that's exciting. They say that every season. That's true. And they're always right. (laughs) Talk of the Giant Bolt sparked some good fan theories online. Maybe go check it out. I won't spoil anything here. But that's it for this week's news. After the break, our interview with Jackpot teammate Shea Waffles-Jones. This interview is brought to you by Just Cause Robotics and friend of the pod, Seth Schaefer. Seth has competed in BattleBots with Bloodsport and in Season 6 with Retrograde. His goal is to make it easier for new builders to get involved in combat robotics through guides and tutorials and now custom products. If you're interested in learning more, check out his website at justcuzrobotics.com. That's just 
C-U-Z-Robotics.com. This week on the podcast, we have a very special guest, Shay Johns with Jackpot. Jackpot was the most successful rookie on the 2020 season of BattleBots, going undefeated in its qualifying matches and earning an 11 seed heading into the 2020 championship. This year, they're hoping to replicate that success as the show returns to their hometown of Las Vegas. Shay was instrumental in the creation of the Vegas Combat Robotics team and currently works at Suncut Send, which has been a major sponsor of combat robotics teams and leagues in 2021. We're looking forward to learning more about this builder and her bots in the hour ahead. So welcome to the show, Shay. Woohoo! I'm super amped to be here. Thanks for having me on. We are so excited to have you on. Uh... Not just because you are, you maybe set the record for most listener questions for a single guest. So <laughs> that's it's because I'm so mysterious normally. Nobody knows what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so, Shay, we're going to do something totally unprecedented in the history of this podcast. Uh, like we said, we got so many listener questions uh, that, in the interest of time, we're just going to jump straight into their questions and basically turn this interview over to the fan. So let's open with a series of good questions from BattleBot superfan Alexander Archer, who wants to know, all right, first off, what major upgrades has a team made to Jackpot this season? Wow, we're really just diving right into it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, for Jackpot this year, the main things we left last year knowing was that we needed the integrated self-writing mechanism. We wanted stronger weapon motors. We wanted more reliable drive. Um, so that's pretty much what we focused on. It got totally redesigned twice, actually, since we had the time. <laughs> so uh, Robert's big plan was to make it uh, more a lighter, more modular base frame, so we have more weight for attachments. He put the self-writing mechanism right in the back there. You see those slot machine arms that kind of look like cigarettes, but, you know, still on brand. (laughs) And uh, the big innovation he had was to drop the weapon a little bit lower. So when the weapon spins, it actually goes about a half inch below the frame. So if, like how last year, uh, you know, in our bounty fight, deadlift got under us, now, if that were to happen, we can punch down, We're spinning upwards, I guess, but um, we can hit anything that's underneath us like that. So that was uh, really the main thing that we wanted to accomplish with that frame. And then we made a few modifications otherwise, too, to get a little bit lighter and meaner. But uh, ground game was a big thing we were worried about. We definitely focused on that. And yeah, just making everything stronger and faster and better and sparklier, a little bit sparklier. <laughs> Thank goodness, more sparkles. Um, I mean, it's it's interesting, right? Because I think a lot of times uh, rookie teams don't necessarily always get like all three fights before the championship uh, round, and then they don't necessarily often make it to even the, the championship round. And then you also got to fight in Bounty Hunter. So for a first, you know, season team, you had a lot of fights to kind of like figure out what was working, what to change for next year, which I think just puts you in in an even better situation for this year compared to, you know, uh, other rookies who have less fighting time in their first season. Yeah, we definitely had enough struggle through our wins to give us an idea of what we needed to fix. And of course, losses are always really illuminating because they'll show you where your weaknesses really are. Um, 
so it, it was it was a really well-rounded season for us in terms of doing really well and struggling enough to see what to improve. It, it really was a dream season for us. Uh, so Alexander follows up on that and, and says, how did it feel to be one of those rare rookie bots who actually succeeded in making it into the championship tournament last season? Um, it was pretty surreal. Once we realized that we'd gone undefeated, uh, I think like the tone for us changed a little bit because we were just like, wow, you know, we can count like, you know, not taking for granted, but we're like, we're probably, you know, we're probably in the top 32. This is wild. And when the seating came out, we we're just like, wow, <laughs> it it sounds like, you know, we were kind of bowled over. I think the, the, the guys maybe expected it a little bit more than I did, because just for me, being there was such a surreal experience to have it come together so fast and go in such a whirlwind and we're so focused on what we needed to fix every time after the event too we're just like wow that really happened (laughs) you know because yeah coming off of the lockjaw fight we realized we'd accomplished something pretty amazing so everything from there we're just like wow we're seeing the other side of this now you know we're really in it. And everyone at the event was so validating for us because, you know, you can feel like, oh, we just threw this together really fast. We don't have much money, but we're doing what we can. And everybody there was just like, you guys belong here. And that kind of sense of community was really more remarkable to me anyway than the the top 32. But that was pretty amazing, too. <laughs> <laughs> That's so beautiful. Uh, I-, I love hearing that. Um, he, he follows up and asks, do you think jackpot will go further than the round of 32 this season? Going into this season, like the problems we knew we had probably solved, (laughs) um, we were optimistic, but it's really hard to go. Like once we got to the event and we're unloading everything and everybody else is unloading their bots. Like I was going around and I was like, oh my gosh, their robot is so much bigger than I remember it. And like Scorpius is so much bigger than I remember. You know, Malice is so much bigger than I remember. All these robots like Deep Six was pitted right next to us. And I was like, Deep Six is bigger this year, right? And they're like, no, it's not. I was like, nah, it seems bigger. Like all the other robots seemed so polished and put together because everybody, you know, is so professional at that level, it's hard to not be intimidated and be like, well, I know the work that we put in and I know the, you know, the things we expected to solve. Um, But once you see everybody else that's there, it's just like, well, it's still going to come down to what happens in the box. You know, you can't, you can't plan your BattleBots experience. (laughs) I'll say that, but, you know, going in, we were hopeful that we had, elevated jackpot to a point where we could be that competitive with the big dogs and all all you can really do is prepare yourself and you can't worry about whether what other people are doing um so it sounds like you guys had had the right approach um so how were you able to build jackpot for just four thousand dollars jackpot is a historic bot when you compare it to other bots which cost tens or even hundreds of thousands of dollars I've joked about this before, but, you know, if we had it, we'd have spent it. <laughs> we didn't, like, the entire design was based on what, you know, Jeff knew, starting last year, right, what Jeff knew we could source and what we could probably afford. So he found motors that we could afford. He found, you know, wheels that we could afford, the design being flat-packed. It was all stuff we knew we could afford to get because, you know, send, cut, send, welding a frame is a lot cheaper than 
trying to do something billet or custom and it would take less time. We didn't have an actual welding machine. <laughs> so that kind of slows you down a little bit. But um, that was really the, the thing from top to bottom. We had to look at what we could get off the shelf or what we could hack together within the budget that we had. And I would say like the overall experience, everything that went into jackpot, like one full finished jackpot last season, yes, would have a price tag of like $4,000 with everything that went into it. But all the tools and spares and everything else that we brought, I, w I don't think you could just have $4,000 and do the full BattleBots experience. Um, not to be cynical. No, but I think that that's realistic. Yeah. And the other thing too, that you, that you think about like going into this season, can we count, I mean, one base jackpot the same way we counted, you know, the $4,000 jackpot last season. This season, the frame, technically, it's cheaper. Technically, the motors, you know, are different. Everything was different. And we did design it to be oddly less expensive, partly because it was lighter. So, you know, and more modular, we're dealing with smaller parts. Wow. But are you going to count last year's budget in with the price for this year? Because, you know, now we have that say $10,000 of R&D last season that's going into this jackpot. So I think when you're looking at other teams, you know, you can say, oh, yeah, I spent $40,000 on this robot, like, over what span of time, you know, for more established teams. That's why it's I feel like the money aspect is kind of misleading sometimes, just because you never know what people have access to. If you have access to the complex machining, it's going to be cheaper for you, <laughs> you know, Yeah. Um, even if the parts you know, off the shelf would be more expensive. So I don't know. It's kind of apples to oranges <laughs> to me. <laughs> I think that that makes a, a lot of sense. Um, and it's good to note, um, you know, all, all that stuff kind of factors into the overall, um, I guess, price tag, you could call it. But um, yeah, no, that's that's interesting. And so um, obviously, you know, uh, there was a move this year from Long Beach to Vegas. So how does it feel that the new season of BattleBots was filmed in your very own hometown? Well, I didn't grow up in Vegas. I grew up in North Carolina and I've lived all over the place since I'm not, uh, I've been in Vegas about five years. Um, and I've known Jeff and Robert maybe the last two and a half years or so, but both of them are from here or have lived here most if not their whole lives so I think it was really great for them to feel like you know BattleBots came to them you know Jeff had gone to see it when it was filmed here in the past so I, I think it was really nice for them to have that sort of sense of uh, everything being you know where it started for them because their love of BattleBots has started a lot younger than I came to the sport. So did you go into this season hoping for any dream matchups for Jackpot? Yep. And that's all I can say about it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, there the were... mystery. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There were things that we wanted to prove, and I think we got the opportunity. Oh, man. Oh, I can't wait. All right. All right. I will not push <laughs> you any further, and I'll just say I'm very excited. <laughs> Um, Alexander asks, were the fights amazing this season? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine yep. you can't elaborate on that one either. <laughs> oh, and I wouldn't want to ruin it if I could. I will, I will say it was a really great season to watch. 
<laughs> oh man all right i will just have to sit tight until then <laughs> um is jackpot returning for the already confirmed seventh season of BattleBots next year nobody knows we've got no idea uh, it's funny because a lot of times when fans are asking questions about or what we know or before filming, uh, everybody was saying, oh, will we know what fights are happening when I'm going to be at this session for filming? And the answer is the same for builders. We've got no idea. You know, we don't know when it'll be. We don't know if we're in, you know, I'm sure we'll have to apply and all that. So we got no ideas. And a lot of times if the fans don't know, the builders don't either. <laughs> so don't feel too left out if you're if you're wondering because there's just so much, you know, so much is up in the air with these kind of things. So Alexander now has a question um, that hopefully is not NDA breaking because it's, it's mostly just about the NDA itself. <laughs> um, he wants to know, tell us exactly what teams are not allowed to discuss under an NDA. I know that matchups and damage photos are two of them, but is there anything else the NDA forbids the teams from discussing? My guess is he's asking this question so he knows the full parameters of what he can ask other teams <laughs> without uh, getting a, you know, a, a denied answer. <laughs> well, it's kind of a two-part answer. Like, they were a lot clearer about this in Season 5. Like, Season 5, we had a big, you know, they had a big meeting of, like, okay, pictures, anything that hints at matchups or damage, you can't show it, you can't, you know, it can't get out kind of thing. But a lot of other things like other robots or things that other people did that might be interesting, a lot of that is going to be the discretion of, you know, what you think the other team would or wouldn't want you to talk about. <laughs> um so like for jackpot, I can tell you all kinds of stuff, not too much of the technical stuff because that's not, I'm not as hands-on on that area of the build. But if you were to ask me things about another robot, I wouldn't want to tell you things that they might not want you to know. Anything that might be spoilery, they don't want you to tell anyone. But a lot of it is, I think, an etiquette among teams of what you do or don't want to uh, leak, as it were. Yeah, I think I think that makes sense. And it's it's such a gray area that you probably can't like have a, you know, rigid definition for what the NDA does and does not cover. So I think I think you summed it up. Well, and personally, I'm never sure if I'm going to be wrong. And I love seeing when somebody out there is like confidently saying something completely wrong about Jackpot. I, you know, it makes me laugh. You know, sometimes, you know, you go out and correct them, be like, uh, no, we're not all plumbers, you know, <laughs> things like that. But it's funny, the things that people who are there, how you feel about the information you get from being at BattleBots. Some people, you know, use that as a social currency and some people just uh, don't want to accidentally be wrong. That's that, generally with me. I'm like, oh, I might know the answer, but in case I'm wrong, I'm just going to say I don't know. <laughs> That is fair. Um, so Alexander's last question is, how were the teams able to get their own poker chips, which are based on their bots? So the fun thing about poker chips, and this goes the same for tiaras or dental molds or, you know, frat shirts, stuff like that. Nobody checks your credentials for this stuff. You can just buy them. So <laughs> that's pretty much what happened. We did, we built 
or uh, we made poker chips last season uh, because, you know, coming from Vegas, we wanted some swag to hand out among teams. So we made poker chips like you can just there's companies online that'll print them. Um, So I designed them, printed them, handed them out. Uh, And this year, again, everybody was asking us and Witch Doctor had done that, too, for the Remars event. They had had a full poker chip uh, and playing card deck. Uh, case made so that was super slick and um so this season everybody was like okay well we're going to be in vegas we should all have chips and so lots of people asked me where i got them made last time and i helped a few teams design theirs but that's pretty much it you can just design your own and make them and they're cheaper the more you get so (laughs) we're doing bulk ordering but yeah nobody like checked to make sure that we're a casino or anything authentic like that you can just buy (laughs) these things (laughs) So that's what we did. They looked really, really awesome. Um, And we actually, um, like, five days before Luke left to go to BattleBots, he was like, you guys, we need poker chips. (laughs) So it was like, I don't know, maybe one in the morning. And I was like, all right, got to get our logo on some poker chips. Like, get these ordered. Hopefully they'll come in time. And then we didn't hear anything from the company for like a couple weeks. <laughs> and then uh, just a couple days ago, they showed up at Luke's uh, doorstep. So <laughs> I feel like I might know the, the company you went with. <laughs> we, we had that experience last year. Fortunately, they got there in time. They're not sponsoring us or anything, but we used Chip Lab. Uh, and that went pretty well but that that was again it's a fun way to interact with other teams too and you can help out with graphics and stuff like that because everybody has the branding put together in some way but you don't always realize how easy it is to put together stuff to look polished like that so yeah highly recommend go make your own chips (laughs) i uh i don't know a lot about gambling so when they came in the mail i asked chris if i could bring these to a casino and use them and he was like no (laughs) I got that. I that a lot. <laughs> she also asked if she could uh, dip them in guacamole. Oh, no. I mean, you can. Again, nobody stops you. Nobody checks your papers on that stuff. But uh, yeah, no one's going to show up at my door and tell me I can't do it. But they are not very nutritious, I would say. Uh, all right. So speaking of merch, P1 and Pain Train teammate and Blackbird captain Anthony D'Ambrosio writes. Gotta love Tony D. (laughs) Tony D. He says, Shay, you are amazing. (laughs) Thanks for everything you do for the BattleBots family. Can you explain the underground team merch wars to the Behind the Bots audience? Also, Aria says hi, and Jackpot is still number two in the power rankings. (laughs) Aria's power rankings are the only ones that really matter, man. We're getting there. She's, I don't think we'll ever take Valkyrie at the top. Someday we'll be cool enough. We'll see. Can I explain? Uh, Not really, but I can try. (laughs) It's sort of like, you know, the arms race of merch, right? It's uh, not a cold war, particularly more of a warm, fuzzy war. Pretty much last season, you know, getting to know Pain Train a little better. And they had such incredible graphics. And I was telling them, like, oh, man, you guys, like, because that's, you know, what Anthony does. Killer branding, killer graphics, the lights on that thing. I love Pain Train. But we were talking about, you know, Bunny with all her, the merch that she makes is just next level. Hypershock with their stuff. I mean, the qr code on the bottom of the robot like who can compete with that (laughs) you know 
um, all these things we were joking about. It would be great to do like a, you know, a giant washer award for whoever has the either the most or the most comprehensive or, you know, something like that level of merch. And every year we uh, think we can pick and every year it's just a everybody wins situation, <laughs> I think. But someday we'll get organized like that. We're too busy making chips and stuff. That's the thing. I have a series of five questions from Brandon Bennett Young from uh, Team Mammoth. Uh, whose first question is, when you began fighting robots, what was your first impression of the community? I love this question because um, a little background on me. I didn't come to robotics uh, deliberately. <laughs> I didn't do robotics in high school. I, uh, My dad always tinkers with stuff and, you know, is a bit of an inventor with making light flashlights. And he had made um, like randomly light lighting up LED fireflies for like an, a little tree installation in my sister's room when we were kids. And so interacting with electricity in fun ways was always a thing that was around my family, but I never really participated in that myself. I was always more of an art kid, arts and crafts, uh, sculptural sort of thing. So when Jeff found me in the BattleBots like groups, he, you know, asked, oh, do you, are you interested in like building robots or doing, or just going to events. What do you want to do? And I was like, yes, that's what I, anything. Cause I hadn't even really watched BattleBots growing up. It wasn't until I'd moved to Vegas and I worked in trade shows, uh, doing production graphics and stuff. And so I was working all the time or, you know, and I actually had time to sit down and had cable could watch TV. <laughs> and at one point I remember, I like, I remembered hearing about BattleBots back in the day. Like even dad had said, like when we would watch Mythbusters or something, oh, these are the guys they were on BattleBots. And I'd be like, wow, that sounds so cool. But I never actually watched BattleBots back then. You know, I think we watched Junkyard Wars, but <laughs> not so much BattleBots, but I knew of it and I knew it was something that was really cool. So I started watching it again. I'm like around 30 years old. <laughs> and oh. Is that your dog chiming in because Junkyard Wars was one of the greatest shows ever made? Ever made, yes. What an era of television with, you know, early BattleBots, Junkyard Wars, the beginning of Mythbusters. Like, it was it was a good time to be alive. It really was. And, I mean, like I said, when I growing up, I didn't really have TV or watch a lot of TV. Um, but once I had, you know, the only downtime I had when I wasn't working when I first moved to Vegas was, you know, get a little bit of TV time and... I watched, you know, so I put BattleBots on at one point and I saw the Beta Tombstone fight and like just watching Beta self-write just broke my brain all the way in half. And I just like, I, I think I watched that fight like six times just in a row right then and called my husband over, you have to see this. And he's looking at it like, yes, that's very nice. <laughs> but I was just like, can you believe it? That that thing just flipped itself over. And I was absolutely entranced. Uh, from that point. So I mean, I started watching it as much as I could, all the reruns that I could. And then when the season four was on, I would watch that live and I would like live tweet basically on my Facebook, like start a thread of just being like, BattleBots is on guys, you gotta watch it. And just all caps, super hype about everything that was happening in the episode. And I think I hid all of it now because God forbid, 
<laughs> the builders see what a total nerd I was about it. Just like, oh my god, this is on fire! Oh my god, this is on fire on purpose! You know. I, I think I think it's 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 safe to say that they all feel the same way about the sport. <laughs> yeah. I, so, but I was just you know on my own, a little island, watching season four, and then I had been looking at you know on the BattleBots Facebook group and stuff I had commented during the Remars event or afterwards being like oh I didn't realize this was here and I I wish I could have gone and Jeff Waters at the time was going through you know fan groups seeing looking for locals who might want to build and fight robots so he saw me messaged me was like hey are you into robots like this and I said sure <laughs> you know and uh then he kind of got me started and introduced me to Robert and Robert taught me how to solder and helped design my first robot and that really got me into it but um before I had even really built myself um I met Randy uh Nunez from also through a Facebook group you know making a joke about some kind of robot thing and when Mad Catter, uh, Martin Mason, they did an event for October Obliteration. I was like, oh, that's in LA. Like, that's pretty close. And Randy's like, I've got an extra robot. Come out and you can fight it and you can, you know, see what it's like. So went out to LA, fought Mild Cheddar, the plastic ant. I'm terrible at driving. It was just the worst, but it was the most fun I'd ever had, uh, especially like going into a situation where you don't know really anybody. And to feel like, you know, somebody literally let me drive their robot. And I got to watch all these fights. I saw Animus. I, I saw Lynx. I saw so many amazing robots that now, like, now I know those people. And it's so funny. But um, my first impression, really, of the community was just, like, people who are as excited and willing to share what they're doing. And, I mean, you can't, like, I can't put into words how much that meant to me, you know, being invited and included in an event like that um and now like when we go to events november necrosis last year that i went to like randy and his family like they were excited to watch my robot fight even though my robots are really silly robot but they're there to cheer for you and everybody's so encouraging it was a social experience i'd never had before and i mean i have a lot of social anxiety i'm not always comfortable in situations period let alone situations like that where it's a bunch of people i don't know who all know what they're doing and probably know each other um but walking into that october obliteration i just felt like you know totally fine like it was okay i was there and it was okay that i didn't know what i was doing and everything was fine and that was such a unique experience for me that i was like oh i, I gotta do this again <laughs> you know i've gotta i've gotta fight some more robots even if they're I mean, I drove I drove that little wedge bot straight into the pit every time. <laughs> their their plastic ant and fairy arena has a pit and just for those out there who don't know what a pit is, a pit is a reverse shelf. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Brandon's second question is maybe easier, uh, and I might expand on it. His question is, how did you get the cutting edge of glitter technology? And I'm going to expand upon it by also asking, how did you get the glitter edge of cutting technology? Oh, man. Well, that's a it's a good way to phrase that since those skinny little diamond blades, they're meant for cutting. Uh, but I would say it's probably when it comes to glitter technology, it's a lonely climb. But, you know, just because other people don't think that it's worth climbing doesn't mean the mountain's not there. 
<laughs> so I think uh, bothering with glitter is how you get good at glitter. <laughs> not too many. It's not a very competitive market. Incorporating glitter into your builds. Not, um, not lots of people doing it <laughs> yet. Chris doesn't even let me buy holiday cards to send to people if it has glitter on it. So I just uh, I uh, dream about what it must be like to uh, have a good reason to play with glitter all day. <laughs> uh, I've definitely dabbled with it in the past. <laughs> like I'd mailed a friend of mine five pounds of glitter in a box with all like kinds of stuff in the box with it. Um, Are they still your friend? Yeah, th she did mail me back a knitted hat that she made herself, and she had poured a micro vial of glitter into it, which I was living in Chicago at the time, and it was perfect because, like, I would walk on the bus and, like, sit on a seat, and if somebody looked like they wanted to sit next to me, I would just, like, fake a sneeze, so my whole head would get, like, engulfed in this micro glitter, and nobody wanted to sit next to me, so I'd always have my personal space on public transportation in Chicago. Life hack, cover yourself in glitter. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's brilliant. Yeah, so glitter had always been kind of a joke, but it's actually, and I think somebody else asked this uh, too, it wasn't my idea to put glitter on the robot. It actually, I had come over and uh, to the shop and Robert and Chris and Jeff were standing around and they're like, ask her, ask her. <laughs> and they're like, Shay, can we put glitter on the robot? <laughs> okay, you know, twist my arm, that's fine. So, and we can actually attribute the glitter technology mostly to Chris, because he showed me how to encapsulate the glitter on the blade like that. So Chris from season five with us, our season five teammate, he was on deep six this year. Uh, yeah, he really, he pioneered it. And I just perfected it on those blades. That was a, that was a good segue from season five. Uh, the next question we had from Brandon was, uh, how did you feel after Jackpot did so well last season? It's funny because it was amazing. Get Leaving that was really like, wow, you know, like I mentioned before, that just happened, you know. But part of the what I love about combat robotics anyway is there's always more problems to solve. So coming out of it, it was like, wow, what if we had fixed these problems? You know, what if we had done this? It was such a great foundation to build on. It had everyone really energized to make, you know, season six jackpot. So I, I think that's kind of it. It was just like emboldened, <laughs> I guess, by the success. And the fan reception really was just amazing. It was really wild to see so many people get so excited about when we showed off the Heartbreaker weapon, like the fact that people were that excited to see it when it had just been a render, like in the very early days of season five. Um, it was just overwhelming. So enabled, I guess, is the, yeah, emboldened and enabled is my answer to that. I have a two-part question from Ryan Hunter who asks, why is Waffles in your name? And what's it like working at Send, Cut, Send? Send, Cut, Send is not a cult. They pay taxes. It's not a cult. We can get that out of the way now. But it is just the best place I've ever worked. <laughs> so I'm not uh, just blowing smoke about that. When I went there the first time, because I work remotely there uh, in Reno, and when I visited there the first time after I'd been hired, like it was just so singular to have everybody who I met there who worked there was just like genuinely happy to be there. 
And, you know, of course, there's things about every job that might be annoying or you might not like, but everybody there was happy to answer any questions and show me different ins and outs of the way things work. And they're all just very friendly. I've worked at a lot of uh, places and I've worked at a lot of family run places. And it's so singular to meet a family that can run a business in a way that's like not tyrannical. (laughs) If someone's not yelling at you all the time, then how do you know that you have poor performance? (laughs) That's the, that's the thing is that it's just not, it's just not like that at all. When you receive like your send, cut, send order, right? You know, it's all so clean and it's uniform and it has the fancy packing and, you know, maybe there's candy and stickers and it just like, it feels to me, even before I worked there, you know, it felt like opening a little present. And working there is very much the same experience. It's very purposeful. And the purpose is making cool stuff. Speaking of nooks and crannies of of wonderfulness, you know, why is Waffles in your name? Uh, you know, things happen. <laughs> That's my answer for that. <laughs> I, I... I could not have answered that better myself. Um, it has nothing to do with syrup. I, I'd hope not. Next question. <laughs> ma- ma- well, hey, I tell you what, ma- ma- Maple, you'll tell us about it sometime. Oh, uh... <laughs> that was the right reaction. That was. Mm. The right I felt I felt bad for that one actually. Well, you can't you can't be afraid to say a pun once in a while, or else we'd be doing chicken and waffles right now. Oh no! I'm, I'm, okay, I'm going down. I'm going down a bad rabbit hole. Someone pull me out. <laughs> it's gonna be okay. Next question. Next question. Next question. I have a I have a question here from Good Rebutal Rebuttal Rebuttal uh, co-host Charlie uh, Hubbard who asks. You enter a parallel universe, but now there is a Shea Pancakes, Johns. No! What do you do? <laughs> I mean, now I've got my weapons operator, right? Like, you gotta have, you know, there's two facets to every coin, right? You gotta, I gotta win her over, and then enlist her. That's the thing. Because I don't want to fight a Pancakes, Johns, No. I, I would have assumed that the first thing that you would have done is say, holy crepe. No! Ah! Well, it is now. Now? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. You just got to watch out for Benedict, right? <laughs> <laughs> Shay Benedict Johns is... is uh, A traitor it, among us, yeah. <laughs> she's, she's from Holland, I believe. <laughs> I think she's from Holland de- these days. Holland. Ah! Okay. That's applause. How many times am I going to have to put the rim shot sound effect in this episode? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We we can't do that to people. But we must. All right. So we have a send, cut, send question from Copperhead teammate Luke Quintal, who asks, do you have any send, cut, send tips for new builders? Yeah, I love this, um, this question. So one of the things, again, I'm a support agent most of the time. So if your files are a little bit weird or you have an odd custom quote you need, um, I'm one of the people who might be guiding you through the process of making it successful (laughs) kind of thing. Um, Because a lot of people, 
you know, if you're from a manufacturing background, you might be expecting to submit your files a certain way. Um, but we're kind of like if you were at a makerspace, the way you would upload your file to be cut on, you know, the laser is what we would use. And then you're going to receive your parts much like you would off the laser. Um, so it's a very DIY step in the process. We, I mean, we have the deburring that can make your parts, you know, shinier and nicer uh, or cleaner. But for the most part, it's meant to be that middle step in your build. So I would recommend, you know, when you're when you start designing to design in something like Fusion 360 or SolidWorks, where you know you can export a cut file easily. A lot of like Onshape or um, Rhino, like different software like that, it's meant to be 3D exporting you know, or it's like perfect for 3D printing. But a lot of times when you try and export a flat shape, you know, the face shape for just plain old cutting, it has a lot more information in the shape than you really need for a clean cut. So um, it's similar to just general building advice where you want to be designing for manufacture Part of why Jackpot is so successful is Jeff and Robert looked at what they had access to, and that's how they designed. Um, so when you're designing, plan for, like, if you know you could use a piece that's a certain shape that might have variable depth to it, plan for that to be in a 3D printed material instead of trying, or in a way that you can layer multiple laser cut pieces lockjaw style. Don't design in a vacuum design knowing what your end product is going to how it's going to be made out of personal curiosity you know i i work with several uh you know uh programs that let you kind of spit out vector you know based you know cad uh files is there is there like uh for for those that are getting just getting into it now is there great free software that you could plug or or something so that uh you know people can give it a whirl yeah, um, if you're like me, because I, I do have a, I do have training in SolidWorks. When I was working in trade shows, I was um, a fabric engineer, so I was like taking 3D shapes and pulling the surfaces off of them and patterning how to make them in fabric that was going to be printed and sewn into giant. We called them pillowcases, or you know, with silicone gasket around the edges to fit into extrusion stuff like that. Um, so I had the SolidWorks background but sometimes if you just need a flat part like a square that you know is going to have certain holes in it if it's easier for you to create in a program like inkscape which is free and it's more like art, art rather than 3d design it's okay to use a program like that uh, qcad is also free and it's just for 2d drafting or if, and fusion 360 is i think there's a hobby license that is free and you can still export a DXF off of that if you're making 3D parts. So those are kind of my go-tos for if, if it's something that you're not visualizing 3D yet, you're not making assemblies, you're not getting really complicated and building your whole robot digitally first, which is totally fine. <laughs> you know, I don't want people to feel like they have to be catting their whole masterpiece. If you, you can do two-dimensional, it's totally fine. And if you're doing three-dimensional, make sure you're doing it um, in a program that will allow you to make it two-dimensionally. My first uh, robot's going to be made out of duct tape. So I have two questions from Lucas Grill. 
His first question is, what's your favorite bad movie? Right now, I'm really on a, a Moose the Movie kick, but I really do love my bad movies. It's hard to pick. It's hard to pick. Depends on the mood. Did you say Moose? Moose the Movie? Moose the Movie. I've never seen it. Oh, give it a shot. You, you'll never forget it. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> Like what makes Moose the movie bad? Is it a plot thing? Is it a is it just a moose? It's not bad at all, Chris. All right, so put it on the spectrum with a movie like The Room, uh, which is known to be like one of the worst movies ever made. Is it worse than The Room? No. Well, you have to define worst. And again, this is like ranking robots, right? Like you can't just look in terms of, you know, clinical success, right? Uh, no, it has great pace. It has great actors. It has, it's very fun. Um, but it is also very odd. So it's like, it's odd bad. It's capable director, producers, everybody in it is great. Um, but it was not intended to be a traditional blockbuster, you know, but don't get me wrong. I love train wrecks too. I have I have so many I have so many more questions, but like I guess I should just watch Moose the movie. You'll have different questions by the end. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Deal. Deal. Yep. Um. So Lucas's next question is: When will Send Cut Send have Caligator on its online configurator? I'm gonna take this opportunity to plug the parts builder <laughs> from Send Cut Send. And not elaborate further. But they have like gears in there. They've got different like, you know, plaques and all kinds of shapes. So keep checking the parts builder, Lucas. All right. I have a question from Mike Stropovic Jr. who runs the excellent Mr. Psycho channel on YouTube. And Mike wants to know, what is your favorite song and why is it Ace of Spades by Motorhead? Oh, man. It's really hard to think of what song would be perfect for like you know the ideal walkout song with jackpot every time we do a test we leave you know driving home i'm like oh my gosh that was so this song you know and uh it always changes it always changes graham grizz glover the third asks uh with battlebots in vegas this year how much of a local celebrity has jackpot become i love hearing that Jackpot's anybody's favorite. That always makes me happy to hear that it stands out. Uh, mercifully, we have not achieved any local fame. <laughs> when, like, walking around during BattleBots, like, uh, if I had to run something up to the front or whatever, sometimes people would stop me and just be like, hey, it's amazing that Jeff's a plumber, or, you know, like, things like that, uh, like, have little specific nice things to say about it. But other than that, you know, Outside of at BattleBots, uh, I'm not getting stopped. I don't think the boys are. But we also aren't leaving like little trails of glitter behind us everywhere we go. So we're kind of in incognito mode <laughs> outside. Well, uh, uh, unleash Jackpot in Caesar's Palace somewhere near the roulette table. And I promise you, you'll be on every news channel in America as the robot associated with Las Vegas. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> there we go. All right, so I have a, a potentially NDA-breaking question from Curtis Honeycut. Curtis, what are you even doing skirting the, 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 the fierce NDA rules? Anyway, Curtis writes, 
I love how thematic Jackpot is. Tell us about the Heartbreaker configuration. Did you use it during any Season 6 fights? Well, I can tell you about the Heartbreaker. And introducing the Heartbreaker this season was a really fun moment um, because people got, like, I didn't expect fans to be so excited about it because uh, it harkens back to like our first initial render was going to be two hearts instead of diamonds. Um, so it was really exciting that people were that happy to see it. We had that water jet out of one inch air 400 that um, we had bought from witch doctor at the end of season five. We decided to go with like a cold black heart theme for it. So it has nice black glitter and I got little red heart-shaped glitter to dust around the top of it and concentrate at the end. So it looks really nice, and you're going to have to see if it gets uh, if that glitter got smudged. Andre Cruz wants to know, any word on when VCR events are coming back? I can't wait to show my friends the awesomeness of that event. Also, I apologize for screaming at the top of my lungs last event. Oh, man. So that's part of... Uh, VCR that people might not know is we are more than jackpot. We love holding local events. Uh, we've had three so far, and our first event last year was at Millennium Fandom Bar, which is our favorite bar. If you're in Vegas, you gotta go. That's another place like a robot event where you can just go in there and feel comfortable and not feel like you shouldn't be there or that you're not cool enough to be there or anything like that. It's just a really comfortable place. Uh, and so those event, our bar events are really fun because the spectators are just, you know, wild. They get so excited. They pick their favorites. The cheering is, uh, if you want to feel like a little rock star, come and compete, compete at one of our, uh, our bar events because it's just so unmitigated fun. Um, and then we did a larger event at uh, an RC track. Uh, that Jeff had kind of come up at as a driver. Um, And then we did another bar event uh, a few months ago where we debuted a new style where instead of like a double elimination bracket, and when you signed in, you got three little chips. um, And each chip you could bet on a fight with someone else. So you'd find somebody there, be like, hey, I want to fight you. And so you each put a chip in and then the winner takes those chips and you just keep fighting till you're out of chips. And that was really great because people are a lot, it's sort of like the bounty hunters uh, where you can be a little bit looser. You're not as afraid. We still awarded trophies at the end of the night based on who had the most chips, but it's a really great practice ground for if you want to test out certain things on your robot and have more fights than, you know, you drive all the way to an event you get knocked out in two fights and then you have to go home like this way. You could really just keep fighting a lot more casually. Hopefully we'll be doing those again soon. We're still on a, the breathing room after battle bots. Like we all had to kind of take a step and be like, okay, I got a not robot for a couple weeks. <laughs> and now we're kind of coming back to it. Like, okay, we got to do another event. Julie Bin asks, um, well, she starts by saying you and jackpot are both great. And then, uh, a heart eyes emoji. Uh, but Julie's question is, is it ever kind of scary to be fighting robots on national television? And if so, do you ever have any tips uh, for other people who may struggle with overcoming their fears to chase their dreams? I really love that question. When Jeff and Robert were like, hey, we could build jackpot, we could do jackpot, we could 
go to BattleBots for season five. I didn't really think about the TV aspect of it because for me, it's like, oh, it's another build, you know, sort of like when we're doing events with VCR, like, okay, we got to coordinate these things. We got to plan these things. We got to get these sponsorships lined up, that sort of stuff. It's very much a logistical thing for me rather than sort of thinking of it that way of like going to be on TV and going to, you know, fight your idols and stuff like that. Uh, But then once you're there and you go on uh, up for a fight, it is really different. It was especially different having a crowd this year for season five, you know, it's all your friends in the stands, all the builders. I had some pre-fight jitters, but it's just like excitement. Um, Whereas this time it's like, oh, wow, you know, this is being watched. (laughs) So it was a little more nerve wracking this time going into a fight, but I don't have to drive. So all I had to do was, you know, hit the hammers. The way that I kind of circumvent the magnitude of what you're doing is to focus on the small little annoyances that you have to overcome (laughs) to accomplish something like jackpot and there's always something to be annoyed about so if you can be a little bit annoyed about something you're probably not going to be afraid of the bigger thing does that make sense totally so that's that's my my life hack to that is be a little bit annoyed all the time and that'll distract you (laughs) at at one point in my uh my life i had to try to overcome uh you know, fear of public speaking, and I, I stumbled across a uh, a wonderful method to uh, to gain confidence in front of a uh, a large crowd, and believe it or not, the secret was karaoke. Oh. And specifically, you go to karaoke with your friends. You try to pick a crowded karaoke bar, but you get up to sing karaoke, and you let your friends pick the songs. <gasps> And you go and you grab the mic and you don't know that you're about to lay down an absolutely flawless uh, Fergie Big Girls Don't Cry as a very large man. I mean, if you can do that, you can do anything. The more you know. <laughs> <laughs> Life hacks. Uh, Rain Rassett has a three-part question. Uh, one we've heard. Well, sort of. Um, do you like waffles? Yes. Great answer. Uh <laughs> So technically, Rain, th- this is four questions. All right, it's Ryan, but it's R I A N, and I'm on a tiny Google Doc. Okay, all right. Well, uh, Ryan's second and third question out of four in his total three part question is Spade Blade, Club Blade. Uh, modeled it didn't really work. Too many points of that things can break off for those but we have been representing the spades on the ears of jackpot this season you can tell from the renders on either side of the weapon that was a cue we took from hot coins art so we're still putting the club and the spade on the robot we're just not gonna spin it real fast that makes sense um ryan's fourth question in his three-part question is is the mini bot going to be the hobbyweight 13 black no comment. Okay. <laughs> All right. I have a question from Mario Cast who wants to know, how was it possible to keep the cost of building jackpots so low versus the other teams? Also, what are jackpots new flipper arms made of this year? Um, so our flipper arms are UHMW and those are really great. We wrapped them in vinyl so they look extra shiny, but they're just springy enough and uh the I mean the cost honestly 
we didn't have more to spend, so we couldn't. <laughs> and we just planned everything based on what we knew we could get for what we could afford. We knew we couldn't afford an e-tech or fancier thing, like mag motors, anything like that. So $70 eBay motors for drive is what we did. I have a, another question here from fellow BattleBots builder, Andrew Burgraff, who wants to know, street metal bot or sculpture when... I, I have to urge our, our 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 fans out there and the people who want to write questions when <laughs> so the the street metal thing is kind of a uh, I walk my dogs late at night for just miles I just kind of go and I find a lot of metal on the ground odd surprising pieces of metal I found ball bearings out there, lots of nails, lots of bolts, parts of transmissions, <laughs> you know, just things on the street. So I pick them up and I bring them home with me because I'm a bit of a magpie and I've been just sort of accumulating them. So everybody keeps telling me I should do stuff with this big old pile of metal that's filling up jars in my garage. I have these giant glass jars that I'm sure are going to break before too long that are just full of this street shrapnel. And I gotta, I don't know, I gotta do something with it. I'm not sure what. People keep saying robot, but I'm not sure. I don't know what to make of Andrew's second question, but I'm going to ask it. Uh, I th He says, I think the listeners need to hear the pickle story with a winky face emoji. <laughs> It would be really fun to stay mysterious about that, to be honest. But uh, I'll say one of the best things about BattleBots builders is how creative they are <laughs> and how pragmatic they are about electricity and what you can do with it. I'm not sure that I can give an entertaining answer that will be concise, but apparently my dad when I was growing up, I don't remember this, was famous at parties for electrocuting pickles and making them glow. So they were in town for the last week of filming to kind of help, you know, take care of the dogs and entertain my husband while I was gone, you know, <laughs> for the whole day, every day with BattleBots. And uh, so we had a bunch of people over and figured out what would glow when you electrocute it at the party. So... <laughs> Kimchi does, in fact, glow. It's great. <laughs> I, your dad sounds like a hit at parties. He's a great guy to have around, yes. <laughs> it was, it's, yeah, it's very, the continuity of um, growing up around sort of tinkering and frequent trips to Radio Shack and that kind of thing, then to go here where it's all just grand scale tinkering is, uh, it's come full circle for, for him to electrocute pickles to the cheers of all my builder friends was uh, very gratifying. <laughs> and my mom was horrified, of course. Yeah. It's really his, bre his bread and butter. Oh, man. Before I, uh, I kick it over to Nicole, I have one last question to ask you from Rusty Captain David Eaton, who writes, What do you do with all of that scrap that you find scavenging? That's the thing right now. I just kind of hoard it and upset my husband by how much I'm bringing into the house. It's because it started out just being funny, like, oh, I found a little a brake pad. Oh, I found, a, you know, some nuts and bolts or little things like that. And now it's it's a lot of metal. 
<laughs> so I guess I should be making a, you know, Rusty's cousin or something. I, I don't know. But we got to do something with it. It's it's filling up the garage. <laughs> All right. So we, we have one more uh street metal related question i guess it's coming from scorpio's co-captain diana tarlson who wants to know how helpful are luke and laura on your street metal adventures do they have their own vests to help hold additional metal man i'm glad she gave me that idea because that would simplify a lot because <laughs> sometimes <laughs> uh yeah sometimes i do my pockets fill up i can't always carry things if i see chunks of like you know rebar or something so that's I think I'm going to have to make them working dogs right now they kind of slow the process down a little bit because it's hard to take pictures so like I I walk I find things I take a picture I post them on Facebook like I'll you know usually one comment thread a night right where it's just like or I see a lot of shopping carts so whatever these identifiable characters from my walks are usually have a theme you know Uh, I'll see one of a lot of things uh, any given night. So I'll post pictures holding these things. And uh, yeah, they're always pulling on the leash. So they're always blurry photos. And it's not very, these are not very, people are like, I'll make a coffee table book. But it's just a bunch of really blurry (laughs) pictures of, you know, me holding a nail. (laughs) But it, it started out with these walks, like I would go walking around. And when I first started walking, I just started seeing all these televisions left out in the desert, like they would just appear. And now there's been a lot more development around my neighborhood, the like five to 10 miles that I'll walk around at night. But originally it was just, I was seeing so many televisions and documenting those and how they would change over time. And like at one point it looked like one of the televisions like hatched. And so now, now I see a lot of shopping carts and I pick up a lot of metal. So the dogs keep a good lookout, I guess. But you got to put them to work. Yeah, I got to. They should be carrying this stuff. It's true because I don't have enough cargo pants to carry all this stuff. Okay, we've got a series of questions from fellow Las Vegas combat robotics builder Alex Price, who wants to know how many pairs of fake hands do you own? And is that amount ever really enough? It's never enough. That's another funny thing that kind of came from, um, you know, a bunch of creative people always being on the Internet you know, together. Uh, The fake hands joke, I don't know if I can really explain satisfactorily, but there's a joke about my hands being fake, which is totally not true. My hands are very real. (laughs) I promise. But I do have some backup fake hands as well. And no, you never have enough. You just never have enough fake hands. Gotta have some stunt hands, you know? They also want to know, which robots from this season are you most excited for the world to see? It can be newcomers, returning competitors, doesn't matter. I really love this question because something that I think gets lost sometimes when people are talking about BattleBots or specific BattleBots is like, you know, winning is definitely awesome and a big part of why a lot of people are there. But when it comes to building, like, there's so many things to get excited about that aren't necessarily tied to winning like ghost raptor is one of my favorite robots because no matter what happens you know it's going to be an amazing fight and i mean they just added a flamethrower like does it get better than that (laughs) you know you can't whenever i see anybody being like oh they should just make it a lifter and stop being with the weapon and all this it's just like how could you possibly make this anything like making it a more tactical build doesn't make it more you know fun or beautiful and having a giant 
horizontal weapon like that is just so badass. You know, you even if it goes flying off, like it's going to be an amazing fight. It's just so fun to watch. So my favorite robots are ones that when you see them moving around, like they look like they're characters, right? Like, and Ghost Raptor is one of them. It moves, you know, the head, it looks like a little triceratops to me, kind of jackpot looks a lot like, uh, like a Pokemon to me too, the Porygon one, like when it's, you know, it's got the angular face and it moves in a very lifelike way to me. And again, I can anthropomorphize too much and I can get a little too excited sometimes, but you know, Scorpius, you watch Scorpius run around and it's like, you don't really think about there being a driver necessarily. You're just watching a robot do what it does and what it wants to do. Malice, one of my favorite robots to move around because it just, it's so singular how, you know, what other robot moves around like Malice does. It has so much character to me. So I can't narrow it down because there's every single robot. If you can't find something to get excited about, you know, then you're not looking close enough. Whenever I see something like, you know, oh, it's another vertical or, oh, it's another blah, blah, blah. Or, oh, Blacksmith looks like Sawblaze now. Like, there's no way any of these are like each other in any significant sense because, like, they're all such different approaches to similar problems. And, you know, basic checklist items you could say are the same, but they're all so different and have something unique about it. I mean, and Blacksmith's another one. Like, it's a flaming hammer saw. <laughs> like, how can you not be super hype about that? And when it moves around, it looks like, you know, it's on its own mission. It's doing its own thing. And it's absolutely spectacular. There's just, there's, uh, you can, you can't not get excited about any of them, <laughs> in my opinion. Your answer is all of them, basically. <laughs> <sighs> For such different reasons. And it's so funny because, coming out with Jack Potter, he's like, oh, it's red and green, insert vertical spinner name here, like, okay, whatever. But when one of the blip guys was over at our pit, you know, just on one of the downtime days, and he was looking at Jackpot and Jeff and Robert and Luke and Jason, like, explain sort of, you know, how the drive works, how the weapon works, how all of, you know, why they made the decisions they did to make the robot do what it needs to do. And the guy just goes, why does it work? <laughs> you know, how does it work? And I looked at him, I was like, your robot has string inside it. Why are you telling us that our robot's too complicated and weird? <laughs> like, it's just fantastic that somebody can look, oh yeah, it's another vertical spinner, but but inside, like, what? You know, it can still be mind blowing. And I think that's something that when you're just focused on the competition aspect can really get lost. And it's it's a shame because... There just isn't a robot you can't get excited about. And I think that gets lost a little bit when you're focused on just the competition part. So another question from Alex is, will Ray ever cave and let you glitter up Tombstone? No comment. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny, though. No, uh, you know, we're sponsored by Brew Glitter this season. They sent me a whole bunch of samples and stuff. And um, so we had like, you know, we could spike your drinks with glitter at the pit. And I offered Ray some of the uh, clear shimmer and he did accept it. So whether he chooses to glitter himself is up to him now. But I did my part. (laughs) Glitter from the inside. That's that's the approach now. We've got a bunch more glitter questions coming up, but let me just get one last question from Alex, who 
says, what's your favorite story about working at Send, Cut, Send? As mentioned, I'm a bit of a magpie. And the first time I went to Send, Cut, Send, you know, I told them, I was like, I love little bits of metal. Like, that's kind of my thing. Uh, It's a burden, depending on who you ask in my life. Like, it, you know, some people find it more upsetting than others, but I just love these little bits of metal. And I just, you know, catamari them up all day long. And when I was leaving, they actually, like, asked me, my super was like, did you get enough little bits of metal? And, like, they were serious. And I just, I just, you know, yeah. (laughs) That was one of those moments. I was like, okay, it's okay. (laughs) Everything's fine here. Like these people get me. Yeah, this is, they weren't, they weren't making fun of me or being mean or whatever. I'm sure, you know, they thought it was funny anyway, but they're just like, did you get enough little pieces of metal? And I was just like, thank you for asking. You know, nobody ever asks. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so uh, Tracer Captain Jason Woods has a two-part question. First is, how much joy did you take in getting grown men to wear sequins this year? So Jason joined Jackpot this season. He offered to help, uh, and they, you know, helped tremendously with the motors and some technical expertise that we really needed. Uh, And they claimed that the sequins were not what they wanted, but... They were all delighted to wear them. So I'll say that I took about as much joy as they did from wearing the sequins. And honestly, nothing made me happier than being able to see them from straight across the pit. Like you could see all the way across the pit, just like a flash of gold red. And you're like, oh, that's where they are. Okay. You know, when you're trying to get ready for a fight, where's, where's so, where's Luke? Where's the, oh, I see a flash of gold down there. There he is. You know, that was Robert's idea for costumes this year, he's like, I think we should wear like, you know, dealer vests and bow ties and stuff like that. And I was like, hmm, you know, the t-shirts are so easy, like maybe it would be better. And then he won me over on them. And uh, so they're, the drivers are wearing their serious green vests, but the rest of us, we had to get a little flashy, you know. All right. So speaking of helping, helping other teams, Jason also wanted to say that most people have no idea how much you do outside of Jackpot. How many teams would you estimate you had a hand in making extra awesome in season six? (laughs) Uh, It might be a little generous. A lot of times, um, you know, I I was handling the sponsorship uh, stuff for BattleBots for Sendcuts and just coordinating a lot of that this season. So that was a lot of fun uh, to get to know teams that way. But last season, too, uh, you know, I had my vinyl cutter and all kinds of vinyl so I could cut, you know, somebody gets their sponsor logo burned off you gotta you're gonna need another one and if you're you only had brought a certain number with you you know it helps to I could always make spares so that's something that I started doing last season and I was happy to help with this season I I don't know last season it was easier to count because I was like oh I know I helped get glitter on these six robots like uh uh sub-zero I lent some glitter spray paint to malice uh you know Captain Shredderator let me glitter a shell last season. Like that was, I was like, okay, these are tangible things. I I improved their BattleBots experience by contaminating them with glitter with consent, of course. Um, But this season, you know, it's whoever kind of needs help. I I didn't really pay attention to the the robot as much as it was just the person who'd be asking me for things, but, you know, cut whatever decals they need, 
making sure that last minute orders or something, knowing that they're on track, stuff like that. It's, uh, it's nothing that other people wouldn't do for us, I feel. So I'm just trying to follow Bunny's example and help as many be as, as available and gracious to other teams as possible. But also if I can't do something, you know, being upfront about that. <laughs> yeah, I think it's great that everybody is so willing to help everybody else like that. It's a competition, but people are still friendly about it. Yeah, and I my role on the team when it comes to that is mostly side quest stuff, right? So if part of that is getting to know other teams by helping them out with stuff, I'm happy to do it, you know? And I usually am the one who has a little bit more time. <laughs> All right, so now we're into the glitter questions again, and we do have a bunch of them because it's it's just a topic everybody wants to know more about. So starting with Scorpio's co-captain, Diana Tarlson, again, she wants to know, what is your favorite drink to put brew glitter into? Anything sparkly. I'm a big fan of, you know, tonic water and cranberry juice. You can add a little red in there. It gets very fancy. Any Anything bubbly is usually the best, but it goes in anything. And it is flavorless. So if you just want to drop it in water, you can. It's it's still fine. And I did a lot of testing to make sure because, you know, they sent samples ahead of time. And I was like, okay, if we're going to be like adding this to Gatorade while we're sweating, you know, and working super hard during filming in August, like I want to make sure we're not going to get all like kidney stones or anything. And so I did extensive testing. I drank a lot of glitter. And nothing bad happened. You can Frank's Red Hot that brew glitter. Put it on anything. <laughs> well, that's, we had two questions from Christopher Spears and Curtis Warner, who both wanted to know how much glitter have you either accidentally or purposefully consumed in the last year? Uh, I think it's all been deliberate. I think it's all been the, the consumable kind. And it's sold by the gram. So <laughs> I don't know how many grams of glitter I've drank, but uh, I guess the same as fake hands. Just not enough. Not enough yet. So another good glitter related question from Catherine Ann Litherland Kearns, who wants to know who was the inspiration for the glitter? That actually is our non-edible glitter sponsor this season. She reached out last season and was like, hey, I want to get your glitter next season. Keep me posted. And I was like, all right. And so sure enough, she's the, uh, the reason we got to do the really fun glitter on the Heartbreaker weapon. So that uh, black glitter, which again was Robert's idea. He's like, I want it to be a cold black heart. And I was like, ah, oh, but the red will look so good. But then we decided, I decided, yeah, it makes perfect sense to let that profile stand out a little bit more compared to the diamonds. So um, thanks to her help, we got that super shiny black tone glitter with the red heart shaped on top of the heartbreaker and uh it it just wound up looking super nice so we didn't run out of glitter thanks to thanks to Catherine we super appreciate it but initially with jackpot it was the guys came up with the idea to put glitter on the blades i'm glad i thought it was funny that they thought i would need convincing at the time again chris really came through with uh, showing us how to do the clear coat to encapsulate it and stick it on there, but still have enough fly off to look really good in pictures. That's what we're going for. And accidentally all over the test box, nice. but it all worked out. <laughs> 
they told us not to hit the test box walls. They told us not to break anything in the test box, so we had to find a new way to ruin it. So uh, I had to do a loose coat of glitter on it for pictures at the last minute. Uh, so the next time that we went to spin up, yeah, we bedazzled that test box. That's great. They've got to know you were there. Yeah. I mean, leave your mark wherever you go. And glitter is a mark that's hard to scrub off. <laughs> All right, so there's one more glitter-related question from Bale Spear Captain Earl Pancoast III. Maybe you won't know this since it's hard to, to judge glitter, but how many pounds of glitter are in each 2021 jackpot? Hopefully none inside. There was that one because uh, before the photos, I had to. we decided to use the, the older weapon at the last minute, not the brand new, uh, newly glittered diamond blades for that. So I had to quick cover up like patch up all the scraped off glitter spots so i had coated it by hand like actual handfuls of glitter it was the one time i really actually was messy with glitter and i felt really bad about so some glitter got inside the robot from doing that but otherwise try not to get glitter in the robot because i don't want them to not let me do glitter on the robot anymore (laughs) but for the actual weight i think the clear coat is what does most of the weight on it and we've never weighed the blades without the glitter on it already. Each diamond is 19 pounds, and I don't think that much of it is glitter, but it might be worth checking. All right, so done with glitter questions, but now we're moving on to food questions. The first one from Malice teammate David Small, who wants to know your top three favorite types of donuts. I really only accept one kind of donut, Uh, I'm a Boston cream girl all the way. They've sustained my family for generations. So that's, you know, ride or die for Boston cream. But if they don't have that, then I'll go for a jelly glazed. But otherwise, if it doesn't have a filling, I'm probably not going to bother with the donut. All right. So Malice has a thing for food because we've got another question, this time from Captain Bunny Soriel, who wants to know, 250 pound cookie when? So the cookie concept is uh, my one and three pound builds are bristle bots. They have uh, their shell spinner. The one pound is a shell spinner. The 150 gram version is also a shell spinner. And then the three pound is a ring spinner. So it can be invertible. Um, Yeah, this season, like after I, I brought three pound cookie to Norwalk, I had had my parts had been stuck by FedEx for like two weeks. So it was really unprepared and it didn't, you know, do super great, but I had some great testing. Uh, I got to do some, some good testing while I was there. And again, being at Norwalk is such a invigorating kind of experience. It was still a great time. Um, but after that I was like, okay, I know the cookie concept can work. I don't think I need to scale it up any further. I'm probably going to do something with springs for a 12 or a 30. Like I was thinking a spring walker sort of hammer robot or something. And during BattleBots, they did try to talk me into 250 cookie, which we'll see. (laughs) We'll we'll see. We'll see. Dustin had helped me. after our second event that we threw in Vegas, the dust up, we'd all gone out for drinks afterwards. And he'd asked me like, oh, well, so what's your build going to be? Because my build actually pickle was the name of the robot. No relation to the 
ones we electrocute at parties. <laughs> um, <laughs> Pickle had, uh, Robert had designed and taught me how to build by teaching me how to build this robot. And when we tested Pickle, before I'd put the wheels on, it was just doing a weapon spin-up test. I noticed that, you know, it was a big horizontal sort of tomb clone style thing shaped like a guitar pick a little bit. Um, and giant horizontal weapon, just irresponsible weapon. Robert is crazy for weapons. So he had designed this crazy awesome horizontal blade. When we spun it up, it was moving on its own, you know, because the energy, right, yeah. from the weapon. And so Jeff had said something about like, oh, if you just like make it like a hex bug, you know, it would move on its own. And I was like, yeah, actually. I didn't grow up doing RC cars or racing. I didn't play video games, you know, so I don't have a lot of that muscle memory for driving. And, you know, when you look at Jeff driving or, you know, Will Bales or whatever, like they're the race car background, like Jeff is a professional level uh, RC track racer. Like I'm never going to be able to drive like these guys. But I figured if I make this bristlebot shell spinner <laughs> that uses that energy instead of fighting the energy, just use the weapon energy to move around. I can make something that's harder for somebody else to drive, you know? So that's kind of, I can't play your game, but I can make a different game that's also going to be hard for you. <laughs> like, robots are going to be hard for me, but at least with my builds, I know they're going to be hard for other people too. <laughs> so that's sort of the cookie concept. And now I might have accidentally entered a legal verbal agreement with Brandon Unger to attempt heavier versions of it we'll see <laughs> we'll see well clearly there are fans who want to see it so <laughs> i mean they just they some people just want to watch the world burn man <laughs> <laughs> pain train captain evan arias wants to know why are you so amazing and what is it like being so darn awesome all the time that, it's so funny because as a person again social anxiety not super great you know uh with seeking out people and expecting that kind of thing um the community just being like i don't know the community being so nice and finding things to appreciate about even you know i don't know that much about motors or escs like i know enough to make my builds work but i can't really contribute technically to a lot of conversations to still be appreciated is just really mind-blowing so and i mean evan should know how being awesome is because he is too Okay, so Combat Robotics Builder Brian Brown wants to know, what words of wisdom regarding pursuing diverse interests would you give an 11-year-old girl who loves building and fighting combat robots in addition to Minecraft, glitter, rainbows, unicorns, pretty dresses, Pokemon, and cats, asking for a daughter? I love that question, and I think it's so fun to see what other parents now can do to bring their kids up in sort of the combat robotics community because i know like if this scene were as accessible now as it were when i was growing up like i know my dad would have been you know one of those dads bringing us out to competitions and stuff and finding ways to do it so it's so fun to see that fostered now and it's funny because like i mentioned i didn't come to combat robotics from a robotics background at all or an engineering one like i was a fabric engineer but that's a much more geometry based <laughs> sort of thing um and it's kind of an odd niche so 
if you have diverse interests, I think that's really perfect. And I mean, again, starting when I was in my 30s, you know, it's a little bit different, like hanging out with people who have had these lifelong dreams since they were nine or whatever, you know, it's pretty amazing to fit in uh, or be embraced as I have been in the community. And I think kids now, like you don't need to limit yourself to thinking you have to know coding or you have to be catting right away. Um, the more diverse your interests are, I think the more ideas you'll have to pull from to make a unique build or contribute new ideas. Because things that I always thought were weaknesses of mine, you know, like I'm not very serious <laughs> necessarily. I don't have a super firm grasp on like the mathematics of what makes things work or the physics, but I can follow hunches and that like everyone, the problems everyone told me I would face for cookie, I didn't actually have because they canceled each other out because they're thinking like from a, you know, a four wheel drive robot perspective, if you have these energies going on, here's the things you're going to encounter. But when you only have one motor in the robot, you're going to, you know, there's some, there's a totally different set of problems that you can't take the four wheel drive problems into consideration for. I think coming at things from a different angle is just as valuable as, you know, the more disciplined builders who have the expertise that can help you harness your ideas better. So don't feel like you have to be a certain type of person to make things happen for yourself. The combat robotics community, especially first to me, it's a social thing. It's people interacting and sharing their ideas and seeing how their ideas interact with each other in a particularly violent way. <laughs> right. Um, and I'm not necessarily competitive, with my builds, my goal for Cookie is to be able to drive to a starting square. That's literally my goal is I want to make the drive, like I'm fixated on the drive for Cookie. Well, it's a completely, it's just a weapon for a robot, right? So the more diverse your background is and the more different resources you have at your fingertips to pull from, I think don't look at that as a weakness. That's, it's definitely a strength. And just because you're good at something doesn't mean it's not valuable because that's something I needed to learn a long time ago, but it took me a lot longer to learn is, you know, we take for granted the things that we're good at and we look at things other people are good at and say, well, they're better because they can do this thing that I think is harder. But a lot of times people are going to look at you and think, wow, that's easy for her. Like, and it's more valuable to them. That was great advice. Um, we're going to close out this interview, as we always do, with a series of deeply philosophical questions from BattleBot superfan Mary Catherine Carr, who writes, first of all, I love you, you're amazing, and I'm so happy everyone is on the same page about this. <laughs> Her first question, you've touched on a little bit, but maybe just uh, some last words about what's next for Danger Cookie. We'll see. Dustin from Deep Six again, he was super helpful in making me feel confident enough to build it initially um, after the dust up I told him the idea and he thought it was great and that made me realize that I could do it because I'd been thinking like oh this is just a stupid idea it's such a weird idea nobody does this like it's not going to count as a build it's just one motor and then for somebody else who builds on a, such a great scale 
to validate it um, was really meaningful. So that again escalated <laughs> at BattleBots when he's like, you know, you could do it. <laughs> and he, so he's had a few more ideas. A few more builders have had more ideas um, and kind of made me feel like it's more possible to try a 30 pound. So we'll see. There's an experimental class, I think, at Norwalk in May. So that's my goal. If I can make a a 30 pound danger sandwich cookie. <sighs> we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Her next question is How did Luke and Laura handle the long days of you being away? Combat robotics is the kind of hobby that a long time ago, or, you know, for one of our earlier events, I want to say it was like for 4th of July, a couple 4th of Julys ago, um, we were worried about. Our venue had canceled, so we're thinking it was just going to be a house event. And we're like asking the builders that were planning to come in from out of town, like, hey, is it okay if all we have is like a kitchen table space that you guys can share? Like, how much space does your robot stuff need? And I think it was David Small had said, like, my robot stuff fills up. It's like a liquid. It fills up whatever space you give it. Just give me a smaller space. If you want me to use a smaller space, it's fine. And (laughs) I've been thinking, like... That's really how the community works, too, as a hobby. Combat robotics will take up as much space in your life as you give it. And uh, it can be hard to set those boundaries to have more time for, like, a normal life besides work and hobby and everything. So Luke and Laura were okay because we could still go on walks at night. I'm a bit of a vampire. Like, I normally don't walk until it's an irresponsible hour anyway. That's definitely part of the BattleBots experience is figuring out how uh, how to contain the liquid <laughs> that is combat robotics. <laughs> right. Her next question is, when is the next ramen road trip? Uh, a little background on that is that um, there's a noodle place in LA that's, or in an Orange County, there's two of them that are similar to one that we went to all the time in Chicago that we get nostalgic for. So whenever there's a combat event, like that Martin Mason's doing or something like that. I'll try and finagle my way into going by telling Christian, Oh, you can get noodles at that place while I spend eight hours (laughs) getting my ass kicked (laughs) in an arena. (laughs) So I think there's another event coming up in October or November. I think it's October. So hopefully then, hopefully we can make it out there again then. All right, so you've managed to get glitter onto Jackpot, but when will you get the googly eyes in? What I was saying about robots with character, right? Like the way they move can be their character. I think Jackpot has that already. So I wouldn't want to put googly eyes on Jackpot. We've tried for some photos, like some big old like snake eye things on either side of the weapon. Uh... But Justin Cisneros, who does the cartoons, he does a fabulous job of adding eyes to the robot for the cartoons. But I don't think I I don't think I want them on Jackpot. I think he's already got a little window to the soul in (laughs) and googly eyes would just be a costume for him. Not for every robot. They look awesome. I'm not hating on robots that do googly eyes, but for Jackpot specifically, I feel like uh, he's already got a face, you know? All right. So when will BattleBots let you bejewel the BattleBox? 
I don't think they wanted to, but I think they already have. (laughs) 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 But we haven't heard any official complaints, so (laughs) it couldn't have been too bad yet. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So last question. Walk us through the ultimate Shea aesthetic heavyweight robot. Well, the original thought behind scaling up 250 cookie once I saw Chomp after season five, I was thinking like, oh, you know, before they fire their hammer, they lock their legs up, like they hunker down. So I was thinking it would be awesome to have a walker robot that would lock its legs when the weapon is spinning so that it'll still function as a bristlebot when it's in motion. But if the weapon stops, like it's against a corner, you can just activate the legs and run out of the corner, right? Like I thought that would be just the cutest thing. And I think that's like... In a perfect world where, you know, nothing needs to make sense or be perfect. That was the chips concept that Robert and I have been working on uh, with my dad for, like, making a leg mechanism that would work. So it would be sort of like that. A shell spinner. It's all gold. Uh, flaming on the edge, like have have the edges, like when it spins up, flames come out of the edges, you know? Of course. With these legs that, again lock in place when it's spinning so it'll bristle bot around but then it can still scurry away when it needs to and uh i think that one it'd be gold but have uh googly eyes just all over it like chocolate chips in a cookie <laughs> lots of googly eyes and flaming yeah i think that's that's what would need to happen that's my platonic ideal of a shea robot would be a walking bristle bot flaming shell spinner covered in eyes that sounds amazingly terrifying so yeah <laughs> you know we'll see but that's not what i would submit to battlebots please please greg don't think that that's what i could do i can't do that <laughs> the cookie concept that i would submit otherwise we'll see how the 30 goes is not that but in a perfect world that's chips <laughs> Well, that seems like a perfect place to end this. <laughs> Thank you so much for talking with us today, Shay. We can't oh, wait yeah. to see Jackpot in the Battle Box soon. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Shay. This was so this is so great. Um, I can see why everyone had so many questions for you. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> After the break, we'll return with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. Back from the break. Time for robots around the world. Now, we're actually going to do something a little bit different this time around. Um, Mostly because we don't have a robot around the world. We're going to have three robots from probably the U.S. I think all of the competitors at Havoc this time were um, from the United States. But uh, there were so many cool robots this time around that I thought, you know what? Why don't we just go around the room, go around the table, say who our favorite bot was, uh, and if we remember anything that we liked about it. Uh, so, Nicole, I think you have probably everybody's answer, so I'm going to throw it to you first, uh, so we can get, just get that one, you know, out, out there, because I, I think we'd all agree it's probably our favorite bot of the day. So, so Dragon Princess, that's what we're all going with? Yeah, I mean, I, oh yeah, I only caught the, really, the, the, the last little bit of the, the fight with, uh, Emulsifier, and, and that was just 
crazy. The everything on fire, everything flying everywhere. That's what I want to see in a fight. So you know, I I can't can't come up with anything better than that. No one can, because it was. I think it's the best spot I've ever seen at Norwalk Havoc in all of the times I've watched it online and been there in person. It was just, you know, like when you hear a bot that like you see it do exactly what it's intended to do and it just is so exciting. And then so I had a friend message me during the day who, who had never really watched Robot Combat at all. Um, before, but he watched it because because we were on, and he was like, "Whoa, that firebot is so sick!" And I was like, "Yeah," and it's driven by a nine year old girl and was built by a nine year old girl, and it just like oh, man. made it a million times cooler. And I'm just so proud and happy. And, and man, what an entertaining bot. Um, so I I have to agree with you, Nicole, on, on that. Ah, so you're both going with Dragon Princess. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna come up with another one, but just know that in my heart, the number one is Dragon Princess. Okay. Do you have one, Chris? Yeah, mine. Mine. Uh, Dragon Princess definitely ranks up there for the day. Uh, but my robot around the world uh, belongs to the builder Alex from CityBot and his minibot, Krusty Meatball, <laughs> uh, which was basically just like it looked like a. a uh, an empty Altoids kin, uh, tin that was just having the worst day of its entire life. Um, I It had a large, like, white flag of surrender kind of sticking up out of its head, which was immediately uh, 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 removed from the bot in just a, <laughs> in an awful, horrendous way. But he just kept on ticking. And um, uh, in, in a lot of ways, I see myself in that little crusty meatball. <laughs> Mine, after Dragon Princess. Uh, well, I guess I'd have to say other crowd favorite, Milk Tank. Ah, um, who qualified for the finals. Well, yeah, so here's the deal. Milk Tank, two wonderful women who I've spoken with at, at other events at Norwalk. And, um, you know, they haven't competed before. Milk Tank is their very first robot. I think this is the third time that they've brought it to havoc now um and last time back in july they got their very first win against i believe it was isaac mailers from um uh from BattleBots, and they actually beat a BattleBots builder which was so hugely exciting and this time around i think maybe through a series of forfeits <laughs> and, and lucky breaks they ended up uh qualifying for the december finals even though they did not win any matches this time around um <clears throat> but they did go the full three minutes um in one of their matches which is like uh you know way way better performance than they they've showed in the past so um I was in the control room, so I didn't get to see it live with my own eyes. But apparently the two women let out such, like, a shriek of joy. It was incredible. Yeah, when they found out that they qualified, that, like, you just got to root for that. You just, I love them. They're, like, coworkers. They're friends. Um, they named the bot Milk Tank because they love uh, the Pokemon Militank. And so... I just, it's so wonderful. So, yeah, go, go them. Uh, but, man, like, I know that, like, you know, we're, 
uh, involved with Havoc, but even if we weren't, it's just, like, so fun. Um, I can't recommend it enough. If you're not watching, um, it'll be back sometime in mid-November. Go watch. Go hang out in the chat, because I am uh, the official chat mod admin person so come hang out with me in the chat watch with a whole bunch of other fans it's uh it's super fun and that's about it for us today we'll be back in your feed next wednesday with another mystery guest we'll see you then folks bye bye, bye.